church is in a dangerous place if the people are casual about doctrine and vague about doctrine or simply assume doctrine. As stewards entrusted with the truths of God, let us never say, oh, doctrine is too heavy, let's just focus on the practical stuff of the Bible. Let us never say, well, who Jesus is and what he has done is more secondary. Let's just hold hands and acknowledge that God is love. Let us not say, of course that person is saved. I'm sure they have heard and understood the gospel by now. No. Handling the core Christian beliefs must be biblically grounded and taught regularly, clearly, worshipfully, filling the mind and shaping the heart and guiding the life of the person. Because what would happen to us, to our marriages, what would happen to our churches, what would happen to the generation that follows if we are not careful in handling the truth, if we are not careful in keeping Christ the center? John Calvin once said that all theology, when separated from Christ, is not only vain and confused, but also mad, deceitful, and spurious, or fake. We cannot separate our lives from truth. We cannot separate the truth from who Christ is. We do not start with us. We do not start with our problems and our needs. Who needs peace here? Let me, let me give you a few verses. Anyone want joy? There's a few verses for you. What else? What other problems do you have? Let me give you some verses. We don't start with us. We start with Christ and that truth is what changes us. A pastor from a few decades ago said the following. How does the Bible teach sanctification? You start by looking up into the face of God. You do not start with your desires. You start with the Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He asks, is there anything that promotes sanctification and holiness as much as this? So friends, we do not start with us. We start with him. We do not start with good advice. We start with the truth. We have not gathered on this Sunday especially for a practical how-to sermon. Because what we need is a who-is sermon. We need to see the person of Jesus Christ. Because he and he alone ultimately meets all of our needs. And so what we need today is Jesus, and all of Jesus, and more of Jesus, and only Jesus. The point of Christmas was Good Friday and Easter. He came to die. That is why in the book of Matthew, the first 20 chapters are devoted to his life, but the following eight are only for this final week. About 30% of Matthew revolves around the cross. He came to die. He came to meet all of our needs. And this is where we are headed today. King Jesus is the one who provides for all our needs and is worthy of all our worship. That's it. As king, he takes care of all our needs by being the way, the truth, and the life. And both now and endless days, his people are to worship him as the eternal almighty king. But what does it mean that he is the king? And in what way does he meet all our needs? We're going to answer those two questions to unpack that one statement. So if you have not done so already, 
Matthew 21 is where I want to point your attention to, and I want you to carefully follow along. Again, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, let's pause for a moment. For most of the ministry of Jesus, he was up north. But we read in chapter 16, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. After chapter 16, he said, I must go. And then he spoke about the coming death and resurrection. Three times he spoke of that because he knew that is why he came. Earlier, he knew that the people wanted him to be king according to their expectations. He knew that the teachers were plotting to kill him, but that was not the time. Now he says he must go to Jerusalem. He knows what is going to happen, but he says now. Now is the time. Then Jesus sent two disciples saying, go into the village in front of you. Immediately you will find the donkey. They're going to ask, why are you taking this? The Lord needs it. And he is going to ride on this donkey and he's going to fulfill the prophecy. He came to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. But Zacharias said that the Messiah is the one with one foot on the Mount of Olives entering the city. He is going to fight the nations and save the people. That is significant. Zechariah, hundreds of years before in chapter 9, had prophesied that the Messiah was going to come riding on the donkey. While the Roman generals would enter riding on the horse, leading a parade after their military victories, this king came sitting on the donkey, symbolizing peace. He didn't come for war. He didn't come with a sword. He was surely the promised king, but not as the people expected. He was not going to relieve them from Roman oppression. He was not going to come and bring the physical salvation that they were looking for, but he was certainly the king. Because from the first book of the Bible, in the end of Genesis, Father Jacob promised the following to his son Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute come to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his venture in the blood of grapes. He promised from the beginning of the Bible, there was a promise to Judah that from his line, a king was going to come whose reign would be endless. And Jesus came on that Sunday from the tribe of Judah. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, put them on their cloaks and sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, it says in verse 6 to 8. As Jesus, as, as King Jesus entered the city, they lay their garments on the ground as a sign of submission, and they waved their palm branches as a sign of joy, of hope. It was a symbol of nationalism. But for hundreds of years, the people had done that. In such scenes, this is how they celebrated. This is how they they expressed their joyful hope. And once more, Jesus came to fulfill all of those prophecies. He came as king. The people responded, and the people said the following. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And later on, it's the children that are singing and worshiping him. And the teachers were frustrated. Don't you hear what's happening, Jesus? And he responds, yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise? Of course. Of course the children will sing. 
The young and the old, the followers, the visitors, all were seeing Jesus as one to be worshipped. From the beginning that was the case. From chapter 4, when he started his ministry, his teaching and healing, his fame spread, it says, through all Syria, and they brought all their sick for healing. He gave the Sermon on the Mount, and after that, the crowds were astonished because he was teaching with authority, not like the scribes. When he came down from the mountain, he continued to preach and heal. And it says his fame spread through the whole district. And they said in chapter 9, never has anything like this be seen in Israel. They were confused. This is different. We are not used to this. This is someone to be worshipped. He is like no other. And on that Sunday, it was a large crowd that had gathered. Not only were there the disciples and the followers, all those who had witnessed healing and had come from different cities, but also, according to the Gospel of John, all those who witnessed the resurrection of Lazarus that had come, all the people from the neighboring lands came to celebrate the Passover. So it could be that there was one to two million people in the city at the time. Can you imagine that scene? What a great voice. With great voice, they were cheering and singing, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They said, Hosanna, which means save us. They were quoting from Psalm 118, which was part of their daily worship that week. They cried regularly, heavenward, save us. And for the first time, they looked forward to Jesus and they said, save us. He is the Messiah. He is the son of David. Hundreds of years ago, God promised to David in 2 Samuel 7 that another king was coming from his line, a king whose kingdom would never end. And so the people, when they said Messiah, or they heard Messiah, and they heard Hosanna, they knew what was happening. They were connecting the dots. They knew that there was someone very different here. And right before this scene, as he was entering the city, two blind men also acknowledged who he was. The blind men were crying out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. They knew who he was. They were beginning to understand, and he was acknowledging it. He was accepting it. And he was directing them also to the future. We read in Matthew 23, as he was lamenting over the coming days of Jerusalem, he said the same thing from Psalm 118. Jesus says this, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus is saying that just as you cried out that statement to me in jubilation and hope, once more when I return, you will surely say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then I will come as the king, and I will conquer, and I will rule, and my kingdom will be complete. More than the other Gospels, Matthew focuses on Jesus as king, but also as the merciful king. As the king that has come to help those who are hurting. Only Matthew points out that after entering the city, he went to the temple. It says in verse 14, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Once more we see that this is the king, but also this is the king, the merciful king, that has come to help to those who are sick, broken, weak, tired. And only in Matthew does it say that the healing ministry of Jesus 
was a fulfillment of prophecy. Only once do we see that. Matthew 8.17, it says, This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. He's quoting from Isaiah 53, that messianic passage, that, that messianic song, which we associate with the cross. And it is that king that has come to heal. Also, he has come to heal. And the people saw glimpses of that when the blind were seeing and the lame were walking. Again and again, wherever he was, he would stop and have compassion and he would heal. With each healing touch, people were seeing and feeling something about the kingdom of God. A glimpse of this kind of life that they would fully experience one day. For those who believe. A small picture of the coming new heavens and the new earth when all sickness will be done away with. Because the day is coming when countless will gather around the throne in endless worship where the Lamb will also be the shepherd guiding the people to streams of water. And it says in Revelation 7, there he will wipe away all of their tears. That scene is coming. In his healing ministry, the people were getting a glimpse of that. This was the king with all authority and with all compassion. How are you hurting this morning? I'm not going to ask you if you're hurting. How are you doing when it comes to pain, confusion, uh, doubts, anxiety, depression, emotional pain, physical pain, spiritual pain? Maybe you're, you're thinking about things that are happening at home issues that you are facing in your marriage, maybe issues regarding to your health, and you are hurting, know this, that the Messiah, the king that has entered the city, is also this compassionate king, and he is going to come and heal. This week we are celebrating the cross, but Romans 8.32 says, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If he gave us the cross, certainly he will provide for all of our needs. If he took of our greatest problem of sin, surely he knows your aches and pains and worries and troubles. And he will provide. We have assurance that he will heal you entirely one day. Maybe some now. No guarantees now for healing. But one day, all tears will be wiped. This is the promised Messiah. This is the promised king from the line of David. And we see that this is coming from Psalm 118. And in the middle of Psalm 118, it speaks of salvation. The center or the climax of Psalm 118 says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Jesus is our strength, our song, our salvation. And it seems that the religious people knew this. And they were not going to humble their hearts to believe. They had hardened their hearts and they wanted to kill him. They were plotting for some time now to get rid of him. They had to get rid of him. He was disrupting the peace. And they knew that if he disrupted the peace, then the Romans would come and they would be upset and they would remove the leadership positions of these teachers and that would be unacceptable. Even Caiaphas, he did not come from the line of Levi. He was given his position from the Roman leaders. And he had ruled and served for 20 years, longer than any of that of the other leaders at the time. So certainly, Jesus must be killed. John eleven forty eight. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Either they were going to die to themselves, or Jesus was going to die. They went with option two. 
They chose that option. But the timing and the manner of his death was all according to God's plan. Jesus was the king, and no one takes the life of the king. The king gives his life for his people. Proverbs 19, many are the plans in the minds of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The teachers were plotting for some time now. Jesus was planning from all eternity to go to the cross. This was nothing out of control. This was nothing last minute. Several times he had spoken of this. Actually, from the beginning, while Mary was pregnant, the angel said, You will bear a son, call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Him coming to die and to save, that was part of the plan from the beginning. Who is this Jesus? This is not a how-to sermon. This is a who is Jesus. It's a who is sermon. He is the king. He is also the priest. The high priest would offer a sacrifice year after year, but the high priest that we see in the book of Hebrews offered the sacrifice once and for all, and that was sufficient. Jesus was that high priest. Also, Jesus was the sacrifice himself. He offered the lamb in a sense, but he was the lamb. In Exodus, we read that the Passover lamb was to be spotless and perfect, but the Bible says that Jesus had no sin. It says that he was the lamb without spot and blemish. It was with his own blood that were ransomed from our empty ways of life inherited from our forefathers. The Passover lamb was picked from the fields of Bethlehem. Jesus came from Bethlehem. The Passover lamb would bring the people before God's presence, but Jesus, the Passover lamb, restores our relationship with Jesus and gives us that real lasting peace that we need. And as he was entering the city, the people were crying out from Psalm 118, but at the same time, in the temple, the priests were also singing from Psalm 118. They were choosing the Passover lamb for that week, but the Passover lamb just entered the city. If only the people realized that. If only they would realize that, in a sense, Jesus was, was saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm here, will you pick me as the Passover lamb? Imagine children playing hide-and-seek in the park. And imagine one of them stands behind the tree and counts to ten, and the others are hiding. But around the playground, you can't really hide. One of them is standing uh, next to the slide, and the other one next to the swings. And they're, and they're hiding, and, and it's a very simple game. And the older the child is, it's easier to spot where they are, right? Or, or imagine if it's a group of children counting, but it's, it's a grown, tall dad who is trying to hide. It's very, it's very easy to play hide-and-seek in that setting. What about here? Jesus was not playing hide-and-seek. Jesus was not hiding. He was coming. He was acknowledging. He was declaring. He was offering himself. I'm not playing hide-and-seek. I'm right here. The people were the ones not playing. Because they were not seeking. They were in sin. Sin blinds us. No one is seeking, the Bible says, because we are in sin. But Jesus is still here saying, I'm here. Open your eyes. Believe. Friend, if you have not trusted in Jesus, believe in him today and you will see him. He is here. He is offering himself to you. Are you seeking him? Are you finding him? Each year during the time of the Passover, They would sing from Psalm 113 to 118, not just in the temple in the mornings, but around the home during the Passover meal. Before, during, and after, they would sing the psalms. And actually, the Psalm 118 was also the song that they were probably singing on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
But as Jesus gathered with his, with his disciples for that very special dinner, it says in John 13, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now listen, it says that right before the Passover, Jesus knew his hour had come, that he was going to depart. He had loved them to the end. He knew that this was the time. He knew that he was the fulfillment of all these prophecies. Hundreds of prophecies were being fulfilled in his life. He knew that his hour had come. And on that Friday at noon, when he was hanging and dying on the cross, the priests in the temple were slaughtering the Passover lamb. They were still looking. They were still waiting. They were saying, Hosanna, save us. One day our lamb will come. And he was hanging and he was dying on the cross. John the Baptist had already said, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. This was a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah 53, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb, like a Passover lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Again and again they mocked him, they ridiculed him, they yelled at him, they, they said lies about him, and he was quiet. He was the Passover lamb, and he went and he died for them. All these pictures of the Old Testament, all the promises, all the prophecies were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Beloved, do not miss this. Enough with making excuses for taking Jesus lightly. Don't leave this for another day. Don't accept lies that you are unloved or that you are unsavable or you are hopeless, for that is not true. The Lamb has offered His life for you that no matter who you are, where you've come from, what you are doing or what has been done to you, He is able to give you new life. But there's more. With Jesus, there's always more. He is the King. He is the priest. He is the Lamb. But also... He is the prophet, revealing the Father to us. Where am I getting this from? Matthew 21, 10 to 11. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet, Jesus, from Nazareth of Galilee. Earlier, Jesus had asked the disciples, Who do people say that I am? Well, John the Baptist, or Elijah, Jeremiah, or, or you know, one of the prophets. The teachers wanted to kill him, but were fearful of the crowd because the people considered him to be a prophet. Several times after doing miracles, the people made their own conclusions that this must be a prophet, a man of God, here from God to speak to us. The crowd considered him a prophet, but not necessarily the prophet that was coming. Deuteronomy 18 we read that God promised to Moses that another prophet was going to come and he was going to be with the people and the people would listen to him. This prophet would have the words of God and he would speak the words of God and he would do all that commands, all that God commands. The people did follow Jesus and they were astonished at what he said. They were spreading his fame. They were glorifying God. But listen, without the eyes of faith, that is all Jesus is. A good teacher, a prophet, one of the messengers of God. Let us come with faith. Let us see that he is, in fact, the promised prophet and the promised priest and the promised king. 
and he alone will meet all of our needs. Hebrews 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Most fully, it was through Jesus that God is speaking to us. So his words were God's words, and his mission was God's mission. His salvation was from God. He came and offered the truth to us. And right before leaving, he said, Go, multiply, make disciples, and teach them all that I've been teaching you as the prophet. And Matthew records his sermons in Matthew 5-7. to We see the Sermon on the, the Mount, the kingdom life. We see discipleship in chapter 10. We see parables in chapter 13. We see the end times in Matthew 24-25. All that he has been teaching are God's words, and that is what they were supposed, supposed to give to the others. He was giving the word of God, but he was in fact the word of God. He was the author, but also he is the chief theme of the scriptures. He was offering the revelation from God, but he himself is the revelation from God. In Luke 24, at the very end, before he departed to heaven, it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures that the things concerning himself. It was all about him. It was all pointing to him. Who is this? This is Jesus, the King of Kings. And we see, in especially today's passage, that he is the Messiah, or the Christ, or the Anointed One. But only three people were anointed in the Old Testament, the prophet, priest, and king. But listen, Christ held all three positions perfectly. He fulfilled all their work, all their calling in himself. Think about a young mother who wears many hats. When I googled this about working mothers, it said that moms usually have about 52 different jobs. Right? You agree? Moms are overtired, overcaffeinated, and underpaid. Right? Uh, They are doctors and prison wardens and therapists and party planners and magicians, cooks, and drivers. Right? Moms have many jobs. But they can't do all their jobs perfectly. They need someone who does all his job perfectly. We look at Jesus. We look at all the hats he's wearing. We look at all the jobs that he has, and he fulfills them perfectly. It would be strange if you had a teacher who was with you in preschool and then followed you until high school, college, and grad school and gave you your Ph.D., it would be weird for you to have a uh, doctor who um, was your pediatrician, but also was with you in every stage of life, who specializes in every field, so that when you are an elderly and you have a certain sickness, he or she can say, oh, I specialize in that as well. But here we have this Jesus, who from beginning to end, specializes in meeting all of our needs. From the beginning of our salvation until the completion of our salvation, he knows and he is walking with us unlike a teacher or a doctor. From beginning to end, he is there for us and he is going to provide. He rules and saves and speaks. He is the prophet, priest, and king. He offers the word of life. He offers his saving life. He rules over all life. Are you with me? We see bits and pieces of this scattered in the Gospels, but most fully we see it in the Passion narrative. Here we see that as 
prophet, priest, and king, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He surely brings the word to the people, salvation for the people, and rules over the people. We are so ignorant of spiritual things. Ephesians 4.18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their hearts. So we live life hardened hearts. Our minds are darkened. We are ignorant. We do not understand. We lack knowledge. And here, Jesus came to meet that need, to provide us the truth so that we can know him. Our hearts were hardened. We did not want God. And as the priest, he offered himself so that we can have a new life and we can have peace with the Father. But more than that, he opens our eyes to the truth. He reconciles us through his death. He delivers us from the dominion of darkness, brings us into the kingdom of the Son. He provides everything. Salvation from the ignorance of sin, ignorance and the guilt and the rule of sin. From beginning to end. Listen, do you have any need that Jesus does not meet? In light of what we have heard, is there anything that we're missing here? Is there anything that he is missing? Do we have any specific area in our lives where Jesus is not sufficient? Beloved, know him. Open the scriptures and read. Open your heart Listen and believe. If you do not have a Bible, we will give you a Bible. We had ordered some booklets about salvation that we put in the back of the sanctuary. Pick one up. Understand the person of Jesus Christ. Understand that plan of salvation. Let us not be casual about this truth. Let us not assume that we understand it or our children understand it. Let us know this truth and let us believe. Let us stop trusting in ourselves. Let us stop assuming that we are safe because we are of this people or this family or we are here or we have done this or we know that. No, our sufficiency is in Christ alone and only He can save us. Let us hold on to Him by faith. For not only does He save us, but He always lives and He will always make intercession for us to save us completely. And obey Him. Know Him. Believe in Him. Obey Him. Obedience is not optional. He is our King. The right response is, yes, your majesty. We are citizens of the kingdom. We are also slaves of Jesus Christ. Obedience is joy. Are you trying to pick and choose what your response is going to be to Jesus? We can't divide him. He is prophet, priest, and king. So we cannot say, he's a good teacher, he's a good prophet, he's saying good things, and I'll just leave it at that. Nor can we say, sure, I trust in him, but I don't, I don't need to obey him, right? It's all by faith, and I'll go to heaven. I don't need to see him as king. No, we cannot do that. We cannot separate him. We cannot separate our response. We start with uh, a knowledge, and we look to him in faith, and we obey him, and we surrender to him as our king. This is what it says in Matthew 7. And this is what we will perfectly see in Revelation 7. Just like there was a crowd here, there is an innumerable crowd there, people of every tribe, language, and tongue. And just as they were worshiping him as lamb, it says that they are gathered around the throne worshiping the lamb. 
And just as there was joy and there was the waving of the palm branches, there was also waving of the branches in Revelation 7. It is a glimpse to that. And over there, as they were crying out, Hosanna, the people in Revelation 7 are crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then the shepherd will guide us into the streams of flowing water. And then he will heal us. And then that salvation will be complete. Look at this passage today. Fix your eyes on the passage of that, of where we are headed, of where we are going, because then we see that he is worthy of all our worship. If he meets all of our needs, he is worthy of all our worship. I started this sermon emphasizing doctrine. In a sense, maybe saying doctrine is everything. Now I'm saying doctrine is not everything. Worship is. We start with truth, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end here. It, we get on our knees and we worship Him who is the King forever and ever. What more do you want? Is there any need that He cannot meet? Are you understanding these truths about who He is? And if you are understanding these truths about who He is, are you trusting in Him to fully save you? And if you are trusting in Him to fully save you, are you walking in obedience to Him? Because in the end, this is not about us. This is about Him, King Jesus, receiving the worship that He is worthy of.